1: You're listening to inside of you with Michael Rosenbaum. Uh, thanks for making this podcast your choice for this week. I know you just get a lot of choices, folks. There's a lot of choices out there, but you keep this little podcast going. If you're here for Kim Coates, I appreciate you. If you like the podcast, subscribe, watch on YouTube. Where could where what are the handles for the Twitter and the Instagram Ryan?
0: Uh, the at inside of you pod on Twitter at inside of you podcast on Instagram and Facebook
1: that's right so join join us and if you want to join uh, patreon become a patron and uh, support the podcast in more w- ways than one it really helps go to patreon.com slash inside of you uh happy to be here Ryan uh, it's been a crazy couple of weeks dealing with a lot of anxiety here mm-hmm. I'm trying to get it under control some days are better than others and uh, just uh, trying to work it out trying to exercise every day trying to get my life in order here
0: and remember to breathe apparently that's a huge thing <sighs> I think we forget to breathe don't we set a timer on your phone and that says breathe
1: yeah everybody just <laughs> reminder to breathe make sure you breathe uh, and uh, if you're dealing with anxiety and all that stuff you know talk to someone talk to someone uh, better help. or uh you know anyone else you think i you know that's uh they're 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 a uh, sponsor and they're great and you use them a lot of friends use them it's better help um hey i just want to shout out to the animal rescue mission my good friend shira who uh, has created this animal rescue mission the animal rescue mission rescues rehabs finds forever homes for abused and neglected animals go to the animalrescuemission.org mission.org and press donate you can donate there also if you want to donate you can foodonfoot.org the homeless situation is awful um, they could use your help uh, the Ronald McDonald house Los Angeles can use your help in echoes of hope.org for foster youth and uh, helping them out. So that's always amazing. Uh, you can also go to the uh, inside of you online store. If you want to get any merch, there's always great merch, the small little scripts to be signed. I have the Lexmas script, you know, that I autograph and that's a big seller. I've got these zip ups, these inside of you zip ups. I've got inside of you glasses and mugs and tumblers and, uh, Lex Luthor pictures and lunch boxes, lots of great stuff. So go to the inside of online store and uh, the new band sunspin might, well, not new band. It's my second album with sunspin. The new album's coming out. So be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram sunspin band and uh, sunspin.com. If you want any cool merch, um, you could also book a show with us. You could book a zoom with us. There's a lot. Uh, that's about it. Really. I hope you guys are having a fantastic week and, uh, We'll be giving shout-outs to all the top-tier patrons at the end of the podcast. That's always a favorite of mine to do. Kim Coates. I knew him on Smallville. We worked together. I had a blast. I love this guy. I've known him for a long time. Sons of Anarchy. Uh, the list goes on. He's done tons of movies. has got a movie coming out. We'll talk about everything. And uh, he doesn't do many podcasts. Um, and I think he did he call me babe a lot or no, Michael. He said Michael a lot. He calls me Michael a lot. <laughs> Michael, let me tell you, Michael. <laughs> and uh, I love him. He's a, he's a treat. He's a joy to have on the podcast. I'm lucky to have him. And uh, let's get Inside of Kim Coates. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. Coatsy.
2: Michael, you look great. <laughs> so do you with all that hair, Oh, all my that god. sexiness thrown around. Look at you!
1: You're the one with the mane. Look at you! You got all this good hair at your age. You're, I mean, how the hell do you do it?
2: I'm 117, Michael. I don't. I don't know how I fucking did it. I took. I took some of your your pills back in the day when I met you on <laughs> Superman. You were all bald and beautiful and young and funny as fuck. Oh my god. Like,
1: that's how we met. We met on Smallville. You were Agent Carter on some folks. <laughs> he wasn't just on Sons of Anarchy and Bad Blood and the new movie Neon Lights, but he's done tons of movies. But he was on Smallville.
2: Come on, Michael. How? When was that, bro? Do you have it in your... 2007. Oh. 2007, just before Sons of Anarchy. I was I was up in Vancouver, and they offered me, I don't know, I think two or three shows or something like that. And almost all my shit was with you. I mean. It was. It was so fun.
1: We did. We had a lot of fun. I remember you just being so, like, I wanted to know you. I wanted to be your friend. I liked you. I was just like, this guy's great. He was just great to be. He had such a great energy about you. What do you remember, by the way? What do you remember about Smallville?
2: I remember you had a sore back. I remember (laughs) you 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 were fighting through some pain. I remember you were the funniest guy on set by a fucking million yards. They had big sets there. I loved Vancouver. Um, I don't remember much about the guy I played. <laughs> I know I had short hair, and I think I was clean shaven. You but were. I think so. Yeah. I think so. And I, I knew this. I knew that you were on a, a huge hit. Like, Michael, you learned the thing we all need to learn about television before I did. I mean, I was... I was that movie guy, always. Movie, yeah. movie, movie. I would do an arc on shows like yours at CSI Miami, things like that. But I never wanted to be a regular in a TV show. I just thought, no, I'm not gonna do that. I'm I'm just gonna keep doing my movies and be broke sometimes. And then why
1: was <laughs> that? Why was it? Did you have what, what was it about TV? I
2: don't know. I, I don't know. I just remember in those I'm older than you, so I started before you. And I remember in those late 80s, early 90s, I went from Stratford playing, you know, I was the youngest Macbeth ever. John Neville directed me. I was yeah,
1: 28. John Neville.
2: Yeah, I was twenty eight, and then New York. You know, these New York agents saw all my work and they said, "You got to come to New York." I was just a Canadian kid, obviously. Still am proud. Right. I'm American now too, proud, but right. somewhat. <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm, but I'm pretty proud of being Canadian. And so I went to New York. And it was all theater and I did Broadway. I was Stanley Kowalski on Broadway for five months, on the square that's, that's and then Hollywood, Hollywood discovered me. So Michael, I I was just a movie guy because that's what you were supposed to do. And then television, I think, uh, I'd like to ask you in your opinion, but for me, when, you know, Gael did the Sopranos and that sort of mid nineties cable TV, it just started to explode for me.
1: Yeah, it became like shooting little movies every week. Yeah, but it's got now. I've you know I sound like I'm a 90 year old guy, but don't, don't you think that it's gotten a little out of hand? There's so many streaming platforms. There's so many shows. Do you like this,
2: Michael? I, Michael, I'm I'm doing this for you because you're a star. Because you're my buddy. Because <laughs> your podcast is exploding. Because it's a great thing for me to do, and I get to see you. Selfish, I get to see you. I don't watch anything, Rosenbaum. Nothing. I don't, I don't watch anything. I swear to God, I'm 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 a fucking zipper head I, I i i'm so busy i'm working all the time i'm flying here and there me and my wife diana we're still together which is a goddamn 38 miracle. years with your yeah. wife come on michael
1: what the hell i mean how uh, i want to get into that because i don't know how the longevity i mean 38 years nobody survives in hollywood and you guys have oh. survived it yeah we have but you don't, yeah but you don't watch Breaking Bad. You never saw Game of Thrones. No. Did you? Did, all right. Do you watch yourself? Sometimes. What What do you love about yourself? What shows you go? Hey, I was pretty good at that. I like no, that. No, I, yeah.
2: well, I, I say that all the time. But no, no no, <laughs> no, 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 Michael. I mean, did you know that Theo Rossi and I had are doing a podcast called Reaper Reviews? Did you know? No. That? Yeah. So, yeah, Theo, folks, pay did, attention. No, no. At the, begin- at the beginning of uh, the pandemic, 2020, when the whole world stopped, right. I didn't know what the hell was going on, at least for me, and I'm sure for you and for everybody. I came running up to Canada to my, I've got a few spots here and there and everywhere, and I just hung out. Theo Rossi calls me in like April, May of 2020, when there's nothing going on. And he goes, we should do <clears throat> a Reaper Review and review Sons of Anarchy, every single show. And I went, no. At, what, are you, what are you, nuts? There was 92 shows, 70. I'm not gonna do Well, we've done it. We're actually on the last show, which we'll record next week, of two and a half years of talking once a week. The, the fans have gone nuts for it, bazooka brains, bananas, off the rails. So I'm doing that once a week. And Michael, you know how hard these podcasts, how hard you work, how hard we work. I'm not complaining, but I had to watch. Every single show of Sons, which I hadn't done when we did it, how many? I'd only seen, I'd only seen maybe a third of them, right? Maybe forty of the ninety-two. So when you start reviewing, you got to look at it and take notes, and then you know we still sound like idiots. We, we don't know what we're talking about, Theo and I. But we've got a gazillion viewers now, and it's it's just been exploding. And just in time for me to say goodbye next week. Yeah,
1: uh, it's funny you say that because Tom and I, who was Clark Ken on Smallville, yes. we started a rewatch podcast uh two weeks ago and so we watch every episode over like you guys have been doing and then we critique it and kind of go and it's it's crazy to watch yourself so many years ago and critique it and critique the show and have guests come on and talk about their time yeah do you guys do that too? you have guests on
2: We, we we do now you did a lot more than us you were in the hundreds right we did
1: uh i left after season seven i did 165 and then tom did more i think he ended up doing 220 or something episodes so i I, if we make it through that show through the entire run i have to watch three seasons that i wasn't in and that's gonna be fucking tough
2: that's gonna be really really hard i think you just make tommy look at those by himself and you just be there for comic relief
1: (laughs) yeah exactly what do you appreciate though, watching now Watching all these episodes back, what's one thing that you've learned?
2: I I now get it. I I get what a big hit it was. I mean i I didn't really understand the whole like before Sons, Michael. I was oh you're you're the guy from Black Hawk Down. Oh you're that guy from Open Range. Oh you're the guy on Goon. The last Boy Scout. Yeah. The last Boy Scout. You're that guy. But then you do a show like Sons for me. And the, the level of what a hit that thing was and what a crazy show it was, I became Kim Coates. So I, I think after watching the shows now that Theo and I have done, I now understand the incredible fandom that we... And, you know, I don't know if you know this, Michael, but Sons is one of the only shows ever that our 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 ratings never went down. They they only went up, like up and up. They never plateaued. They never... They just went up from season one to two, to, wow. all the way. So... FX is the biggest hit they've they've ever had by a gazillion dollars. So pretty proud of all that.
1: Smallville definitely had its highs and lows. I think there were some lows at times. And then the one season got better than this season was worse. But you're saying, I mean, we did a lot more episodes, but still at the same time, you did 92 episodes and the trajectory of success just went up.
2: People when you were kept- doing Smallville. Remind me, was it every week you weren't binging yet. Right back then. Right. It was, once a week. People it was saw once
1: it. a week. There was no binging. You had to wait.
2: Yeah. So I think that's part of Suns' success in a way. We only did 13 every season. And when it opened in September, it was always that you know early September, uh, 10 o'clock, Tuesday night. It just, you know, for the next 13 weeks, if you were a Suns fan, you never missed a Tuesday night. And then you had to wait seven or eight months before the next season. So it was just talk, talk, chatter, chatter. So I think that's one of the reasons why our show just continued to climb and build because, you know.
1: Was it, was it exhausting? Did, were you, did you work every day? Were you constantly like, Oh my God, I'm exhausted. Like, you know, like what were your days like? Hey,
2: you know, Michael, you, you I'm sure you're the same. I, I, I'm, I'm allowed to complain cause I'm old now, but I never, I never took for granted how, how much we worked or I never complained. Yeah, it was some really tough days. We, we, you know, we're all in leather and riding those bikes and those Harleys. And we shot in like July, August, September, which you know in LA is really, really hot. And we we called it, we called it doing the timber. At least once or twice a week, we go timber, man down. One of the crew would just fucking pass right out. Gatorade, infusion of Gatorade. <laughs> Cause it was so freaking hot.
1: you were in leather and you were riding motors did you have to learn to ride a motorcycle for sons of anarchy or did you already know how to do it
2: no there was only three of us who could ride mark boone jr uh, david labrava and myself of the leads knew how to ride some of them lied and said they did and then they fell a few times and realized well you're a liar so they all had to go to bike school (laughs) um everybody and i would say by the end of the seven seasons charlie hunnam probably became the best rider because he was never off his bike he rode to work every day we all did but he really did and uh yeah no he became a really good rider so yeah no i i knew how to ride and i i was called safety first michael because i would stop so many shots i go cut cut flanagan why are you rubbing your fucking feet on the ground Because my boots are slippery. Well, you do that later. Wait, DL, why are you zipping out of the the line? You got to stay, cut, cut. So they were really pissed off at me. But at the end, I got a little trophy from everybody calling safety first, probably saved a lot of lives. Because when you're on a Harley, there's no fucking around. As you know, It's, it's the real deal. Were there some big accidents on set? We had three. Yeah, we had three. We got lucky. Ronnie Perlman went down hard. You know Ron?
1: I know him from conventions.
2: Yeah, he, he, he's the best. He's really cranky, but I love him. He's so smart. Was he cranky on set? Uh, sure. I mean, <laughs> the, the first he few years, He looks like he'd be no. cranky, right. But the last couple, you know, when you know you're going to die or you don't like the writing or, yeah, he became cranky, but I think we all had a bit of crank in us. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, he went down hard and, and I was right beside him When I got off my bike like a horse. I just got out so fast. Told him not to move, not to move. Lay there, lay there. The ambulance came and he, he turned out to be all right. A lot of lesions and, and scrapes. And then Mark Boone Jr., Booney, we could have lost him. We were doing a scene. We were chasing the Russians. Of course we were chasing the Russians. Why wouldn't you be? You know, who wouldn't be? And so we're chasing the Russians and he had this old, late 90s Harley... With these ape hangers, really tall. It was really hard to negotiate and navigate. It was a tough bike to ride, and he's a great rider. And we went around a corner, too many rocks, and he slid, and he slid hard. And he missed a big, big boulder, and uh, he was up for a couple of days. And then Tommy, yeah, I could go on, but we we were all right. No one got seriously hurt. We were very lucky. Right.
1: Take me back how it all started because, I mean, were you since you were a kid, growing up in Canada, did you want to be an actor? Is it something you always, what were you, what were your parents doing? What did they think about how, how, did it start? How, were you popular in high school? Sure. You were.
2: Yeah. Well, I don't know. Sure. I was always a bit of a, a bit of a leader, I think. I was, you know, the captain of the hockey team. I, wow. I was the captain of the football team in high school. I was the best player on the worst team in Saskatoon's history. We, we only had 540 kids at our school, and we had grade nines all the way to grade 12 on the senior team. We just got killed on the football field. But I took a lot of took a lot of hits, and I gave a lot of hits. But, look, I, I'd never seen a play in my life, Michael. I was a, a pretty good little redneck kid for sure, sports, sports, sports. Did all right at school, did okay. And then uh when I graduated high school, I knew I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be a history teacher. I was gonna go to, you know, education at the University of Saskatchewan. So I took a drama class for fun as an elected. I said, I'll pass that class for sure.
1: How old were be you? A lot of girl- Huh? How old were you? Nineteen. Nineteen.
2: Nineteen. And then I want to hear your story, but I'll get I'll get this over with. No, I want to hear it. Please. This is good. I go to school and, uh, you know, I take this drama class because, well, I'll pass it and there'll be lots of girls. And and then it hit me, man. I don't know what, what the hell happened, but I'm, I'm reading Ian Esco and Tennessee Williams and Shakespeare. I didn't even know what a soliloquy was. And before <laughs> you fucking knew it, I had done 25 plays over four years. I switched my major from history to drama in year three, got my four-year degree. We were doing summer stock every year. I made no money. Zip. All my buddies were getting me through school. I get them through everything now. They don't they haven't paid for anything for 20 years. But <laughs> but back in the day, man, in those early 80s, when Coatsy was going to university, <laughs> I knew I needed to be a professional actor. And that's how it all started. I moved to Toronto and the rest is history. What
1: were your parents thinking when you told them you wanted to do this? Mom
2: and Dad, Joyce and Fred, great question. Dad Fred dad and who? Joyce? Fred Fred, Fred and Joyce. Yeah. Fred Frederick and Joyce yeah mom's still alive okay oh, uh, she's 92. Wow uh, pop passed before Sun started so we didn't get to see any of that stuff but he knew all my work he's pretty proud of me um good guy you would have loved my dad you'd love my mom good people no listen we came from a really small house in Saskatoon uh my two little brothers and me they were a year and 10 months younger than me they're twins Dale and Dean of course they're Dale and Dean and you know <laughs> We were just playing hockey and sports and, and living the life in Saskatoon. And, you know, people go, how would you survive the winters? And I go, well, you either live or you die when it's minus 40. You either dress for it and live or don't dress for it and get frostbite and lose your fingers. I mean, it's pretty wow, easy. Wow, it
1: was that cold there, huh?
2: Well, up in Canada. I mean, I just, where were we you yeah. born, Michael?
1: I was born in New York, but I grew up in Indiana, a small town in Indiana from the time I was eight on
2: all right well you didn't get the coldness that we did we got
1: cold still, but it wasn't yeah. like that it wasn't the only other city i remember is moose jaw saskatchewan moose jaw! where the hell is moose jaw saskatchewan yeah
2: sure. Moose Jaw's close to saskatoon right so did you have a background of theater yeah did you tell me I, well I, I, I
1: studied i studied and you know i was a nervous wreck like i am now and i was in high school and finally um I was taking drama class and I took it my freshman, sophomore, junior year, just because it was an easy A and you just had to goof around. And the senior year, my teacher said, Hey, you got You got to audition for a play. If you're going to take advanced drama, which is the same as drama every year. And I go, Oh my God. And I auditioned for Greece. And I got the part as hey, hey, there's the main brains. Vince Fontaine spinning the stacks to wax here at the House of Wax, W A X X cruising time 1026. Sharpshooters, pick hit of the week, a brand new one shoot up the charts like a rocket by the Veldu Dubre. And I just went on and I was oh, and I got it. And I remember I, I told the story, I think the last one of the last episodes, but I remember a popular kid came up to me and I was not popular, shortest kid in my school, and said, Hey, you're really funny last night. <laughs> and that changed everything. It just cha- it showed me that, oh, not being me was the way to go be someone else, be an actor. And uh, and it just took off from college. I started doing tons of plays in college and sort of fell for it. It was the only thing I felt like I could do and um the camaraderie and being around people in the green room. And although look, there's a lot of clicks as we know in the drama department. I mean, everybody's yeah. judging everybody, everybody's talking shit about so and so. Why did he get the part? And he's like, you know. Um, but I stuck with it and you know, I went to New York afterwards, did off off Broadway, and you know, the rest was history.
2: I'm so happy.
1: Yeah. I'm so happy. You, but
2: you did and a yeah. lot of
1: stuff. You did like you got accolades, big accolades.
2: Well, I, I don't know about I don't know about that, but I I certainly stumbled into some pretty pretty juicy plays and parts. I mean, I you know, in the third year of university, we went to Edinburgh for the Edinburgh Drama Festival, and we won a Fringe First, which is a first place for a play called Creeps about cerebral palsy. David Freeman wrote it, a Canadian uh, writer back then, playwright, and it was a huge, massive hit. So we came back from that. And I knew, you know, this that's it. I'm being a professional actor. And then when I went to Toronto, like I told you, we took a, took a while. I waited for a couple of years. You know, I waited. I was with a big agency. And Gary Goddard, you know, that typical smoking cigarettes, eating way too many hamburgers in his office, big guys, cigar smoking, just fucking, you know, he said, we're going to turn you into a movie star, like, now. And I went, no, no, you're not. No, you're not. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, I want more theater, more stage. And he went, no, no. I said, no, no. Uh, that's and, that, really? and I stuck to my gun. Huh?
1: I feel like all fucking stage actors say that same thing. Like, no, yeah, I just want to do theater until they're somehow forced to do it.
2: But I Michael, I I didn't say I I didn't want to do film. I said to him, I'm not ready yet. I I need to be a better actor. And so we did, man. We I did eleven plays in Halifax. Um, I did streetcar for the first time. That's why when when I anyway, it's a long but then Stratford, two years at Stratford, then new york discovers me and i'm on broadway and i'm doing dracula in atlanta i mean my god rosenbaum i think i got between five and ten phone numbers a night from women what from playing playing dracula at the alliance theater 1300 seats now by my powers of most red black the bones of blood, and I would take Wilhelmina, and I would pull her right up to me, and I would crawl on her like a goddamn lizard, and <laughs> there was blood everywhere, and I'm sucking on her, and I we were right at the front of the stage, our heads up. No, people were screaming, women were losing their shit. Um, I had my own coffin. I insisted on, you know, making sure that we rehearsed at nighttime. I would go to strip club after strip club to get the get the whole thing. I it's just about the blood. It's not about the body. It's about the blood. In my head, doing my little method bullshit. So, yeah, I had long fingernails, long black hair. It was a a hit. How old were you? uh, That was like 1988, so I was 30. And you were already married at this point? Oh, yeah. Where did you meet your wife? Uh, Met her in in college, in university. She was 18, I was 19. She's obviously way smarter than I could ever pretend to want to be um not that she's with me but just she can see right through me and see right through so she's let me michael do my thing like i give diana all the credit in the world for raising my two beautiful daughters and giving me the freedom to be kim Coates. she's not jealous she's not worried she you know we fight once in a while obviously it's a roller coaster how how can how can it not be you know we dated for seven years before we got married so i've been with her forever but The separation has kept us wanting to come back to each other. You know, when I go away from movies or Black Hawk Down was five months in Morocco and I didn't come home once, you know, so. Did you talk to her every
1: night or did you talk to her here and there? She she doesn't need that. She knows you're doing your thing and let you do your thing. Do you think that's what's kept you together is that she just appreciates you, you appreciate her and you let each other do your shit?
2: And I and I I look up to people who are who are you know with another actor or another artist it's tough to do. is a former teacher, you know? She 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 could stop teaching cuz she wanted to once we had kids and if we were lucky enough to make enough money that's what she wanted to do is be a homemaker and she did it so well and she helped the kids with schooling and What was the first
1: movie role that you took?
2: Ah, uh, wow, the first one I took was with Nick Cage what first time you do a movie it's with Nick Cage yeah I had, I had no lines though it was like I was at Stratford it was a two-day part I got paid $600 a day it's the most money I ever made in my life um it was called Blue Boy it was about this rower this or rower from Canada in the early 1900s famous book so and so Nick played that guy and I remember talking to him a little bit and at lunch, Nick had this salad that was as tall as you, Michael. It was on his plate, and it was just a salad. And he had steamed chicken on the side, and he was all cut, 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 cut. And I started to really learn about the the incredible stamina and willpower it takes to be a movie star if you want to be in shape. You can't you can't fart around. The camera sees everything, right? You know that. Yeah. So yeah, I had no lines. I had, I had six lines. They were all cut. I was on a little wagon watching them race, making bets, being a big better. That was my first movie. No one, no one saw it. No one cared about it.
1: But was that after that you had that itch? You kind of felt like I like this. I like being on set. I like, I want to be a movie star.
2: I, I, I had this feeling of, um, it's different. It's different than stage. It's you, you gotta do it again and again and continuity You know, I was drinking and they said, you got to drink at the same line, like shit that I never thought hitting your mark, you know, with the camera. And back then that was 35 millimeter, you know, those were, those were today. We got all these red cameras, all these, we're all on tape and it looks amazing, but you can just burn that. Expensive.
1: Right. Very expensive (laughs) in the olden days. Inside of You is brought to you by Patreon. Yes, the Inside of You, Patreon. We're supporting this. We're doing a little ad for it. Just thanking everybody for supporting the podcast. And if you want to support it a little bit more, you can. Just go to patreon.com slash inside of you and become a patron. I'll message you back after you join. Might take me a few days, but I'll message you back. There's different tiers. Some people get boxes of merch from me every couple of months. Uh, sometimes there's Zooms, there's YouTube Lives with me where you ask me questions, there's bonus stuff, there's content, there's, you could have your name shouted out at the end of every podcast. There's so much, and most importantly, it really helps the podcast. So just go to patreon.com slash inside of you and become a patron today
2: when was your first movie
1: um i think it was i did this little independent movie that was just terrible i don't even need to talk about it just it looked so bad that the B, dp must have been on crack shooting it but it was with a lot of really good actors it was it wasn't a terrible movie it was just like man to pete dan futterman uh, wow. uh it, it, it was just it was just it was, just a, it was just a little movie jennifer garner and wow. it just but it looked like shit why i mean I, I i all i remember about this movie was god why does it look so terrible uh and then the first real movie was uh midnight in the garden of good and evil clint eastwood directed me and it brought me out to california and what year uh, was that please? that was like 97 and uh i remember i auditioned for that and uh i didn't even know what i was auditioning for i just put on an accent the southern draw and uh, I, I went back my agent goes hey you got a, a call back for midnight in the garden of good and evil I go "Midnight in the garden of what what and they go yeah um, and I went in there and the casting director said hey Clint would like to see just a little more subtle and I go whoa wait wait, hang on a second Clint Eastwood's watching this he's come like on. yeah he cast from on. tape and I go like, oh on. my god and the next thing you know I was flying to Savannah Georgia and you fucking got the part. I got the part. I remember I went, the, the producer picked me up from the airport, took me to set, and introduced me to Clint and goes, just, he, he knew me, he just walked, he goes, Michael, I just want to say if you do what you did in the audition, I'll be very happy. <laughs> and I shit my pants right there. And it was just like, oh, my
2: God, I'm working with Clint Eastwood.
1: Oh, come on. It was and the best feeling ever.
2: Is it true about him that he doesn't do a lot of takes? Is that true?
1: Dude, he goes, I remember I had this. I remember him just going, he'll just come up to you and go, I'll acknowledge the jury on this one. I go, okay. He goes, well, how do you feel? I go, I felt pretty good. How do you feel, Clint? And he goes, I felt great. You want another? Or are we good? And I'm like, well, I mean, I mean, that was the sort of attitude. And when he said, he didn't say action. He would look at his uh, Jack Green, his DP, and goes, he'd look at me and go, Michael. And I go thumbs up and then he'd look at me he'd make that rolling thing with his finger like jack and oh, they would and on. everything would start moving and they oh, would go on. one or two takes i i and i saw him i told this story i saw him get a little annoyed with kevin spacey one time i saw him get like you know everybody's
2: annoyed with him anyway, <laughs> well so, at okay. the
1: time kevin's like yeah look i don't know if i should be coming in through this door or this should i acknowledge it i don't know god damn it do whatever you want <laughs> Just for a second, he just lost his cool. I don't know what the hell ever you want to do, Countess. I mean, just like, oh my god, it was just, it was priceless. Have you ever been starstruck on a set where you're like,
2: yeah? When? Yeah. I'm gonna tell you. First of all, that's fucking brilliant. I can listen to you doing Clint all day long, you fucker. Um I gotta be I gotta be honest. I mean, my my boy Bruce Willis, he's going through a lot of yeah. different times right now, and I feel for him and big hugs to him and his family. And I miss him. I, I really do. Anyway, but back in the day when Bruce was and he still is, he's a fucking massive movie star. Yeah. And Bruce, my first Hollywood movie was The Last Boy Scout. So you know, like, you talk about auditioning, right? So I'm, I'm, you know, I just finished Broadway Streetcar and things are taking off and all these uh, casting people. Marion Doherty, the late Marion Doherty, she said, you're going to be a fucking star, kid. And here we go. And she got me this audition for the last Boy Scout. It was like three scenes. And I remember going on tape for her in New York. And that's back in the day. This is early 90s, 91 maybe. And they flew you out. They flew you out for an audition. They put you up. Yep. So I, I had a real audition with Tony Scott, the late, great Tony Scott. Oh, Jesus. genius. He's gone now, too, and Phil Silver. And we're sitting in this room, a really small fucking room, and I'm doing this audition, and I walk out of the room, and the casting chick comes out. It wasn't Marion. It was the L.A. equivalent, Marion State in New York. And she said, hang on, hang on. And so I'm in the hallway, and Tony comes bustling and goes, yeah, yeah, you got it. We got it. And I went, I got it? And I said, you're offering me fucking chat?" he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. See you in a couple of weeks. So I go back, got the part. Now you got to hear this. So true story, I uh, I go to set. And it's back in LA. And I don't know if you remember the last Boy Scout, but it was a football game. Oh,
1: dude, I loved it. I remember you just yeah. stole the shit out of that one scene too.
2: Yeah. 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 So we did that scene later. My first scene was at a, we're getting a newspaper and Damon Wayans comes to get a newspaper and me and my two thugs, we walk up and I say, someone, he doesn't look too tough to me. He doesn't look too tough. So the scene was I end up punching him right in the face. Right? And so I get to set and I'm in my wardrobe and my shoes that they've given me are super slippery. Like they're fucking (laughs) slippery as shit. And and I'm sliding all over and I, I was a little, and I'm in a little honey wagon. I don't even have my own bathroom. I'm like completely green, right? I got nothing. So, but I've got this big movie. So I go, can we? And they go, no, no, just get some Coca-Cola. Pour some Coke in the bottom. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. I go, oh, okay. So I get to set, I meet the stunt guy. We go over the punch. It's going well. It's time for the punch. And the punch goes pretty good. And Tony comes up. Everyone's there. Willis isn't there yet. I haven't met him yet, but everyone's there. And Tony comes up and goes, okay, right, mate. we got that, we got that, we got that. Now, now there's one more, one more, go, just go for it. We got it, it's all done, we got it, but go, just go. I go, all right. So we do one more, action. He comes up, we do the thing, and I punched him right in the face. My back foot slipped, Michael, and my my fist went farther than, than it should have, and it hit him right right underneath the glasses, he had sunglasses on. The glasses come off his face. He's holding his face. I'm like so shocked at what I had done. The stunt guy comes up and goes, it "Wasn't your fucking fault, man. I saw your foot slip. It's your fucking shoes' fault. It wasn't your fault. It wasn't you?" I'm just going. I'm so sorry. Silver comes running up. Tony comes running up. And Damon Wayans gets up off the ground and goes, "I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm all right." Let's go. Let's do it again. I'm, a, I'm all right. Tony goes, no, we got that. We're moving on. I thought I was going to get fired on my very first day of my first big LA You match. punched Damon Wayans in the face.
1: Yeah. On your yeah, first I mean, day cool of work on a huge blockbuster movie.
2: Yeah. And then the Bruce Willis story on that, let me tell you that. that this is cool. Oh, my so you're God. Me being, you're asking me about being starstruck. So here we are. It's my big scene. It's the big scene of the movie, really. I mean, it turned out to be everyone remembers this scene. And I'm in this pool inside. And as you know, Michael, this happens to you because you're such a fucking movie star. No one, you always come last to set. I know you. Like, yeah, the star comes last. Everyone's got to be there. No, They're ready. Oh, come and then, on. So here I am. And there he is. His name is Bruce Willis. Hadn't met him. He comes walking up. He's got a T-shirt on. He just comes fucking walking up. He's got a couple people. I, I'll never forget it. Tony comes over, they start talking and then they start coming into my area where I'm going to be, you know, it's because really my scene and there's another actor playing the piano, really great comedic actor. I can't remember his name right now. Anyway, he comes up to me. He doesn't look at me really. And Tony goes, hey, Bruce, this is Ken. He goes, hey, that's all I said was, hey, I go, hey, Bruce, really nice to meet you. Okay, so let's do the scene. So we're doing the scene. We're just fucking doing the scene. And Willis isn't telling me anything. I'm not, I'm just doing my thing. My gut, I, I auditioned for this part like you did with Clint. I, I, and I'm ad-libbing a little bit. I'm having a cigarette and punch him and all that. And then it comes time for him to kill me. This took two days. And now we're into day two. And he's going to break my nose and I'm going to, I'm going to die. And Willis goes, okay, so when I, and he never called me Kim or my name, just him, I was just him. So when I hit him, you know, when I punch him, He's going to fall into the pool and that'll be that. And Michael, I went. I, I don't want to fucking fall into the pool, take at, in my head. I don't want to. So I called Tony over. I said, Tony, nothing for nothing. I don't see it that way. He goes, what do you mean? I goes, I don't, I don't see me flying into the pool. He goes, well, how do you see it? I go, well, can we just do one? He goes, sure. So he goes, hey, Bruce, Bruce, we're going to do one for Kim. We're going to do one for Kim. He goes, sure, all right, all right. He fucking goes, and and I fell right on my ass, Michael, like a 10-year-old boy. And then I flopped back, and the camera's still rolling. Willis showed me this later. And everyone is laughing their fucking heads off. They're clapping, they're laughing. And Tony comes over and goes, I think we got it. I think we got it and won. Willis goes, that was pretty fucking good and we did. We did a couple close-ups and shit, but no, that was it. One take, a couple cameras, I fell on my ass like a little boy, and then I flopped back. They couldn't believe that I could fall on my butt like that and stay straight like a tree. And then... (laughs) Anyway, that was my Bruce Willis story. Wow, so you impressed Bruce. I think so, because we've become buddies. We've done a couple since then, and I always like hanging with him. He loves my wife. I haven't seen him in 10 years, probably, but he uh he's a good guy he's a really good guy and and he's battling something now that no one wants to go through
1: wow did you ever meet someone that you were excited to meet or work with and they just let you down they weren't the
2: guy that you thought they
1: would be you don't have to say their name but have you ever been on set where it's like yeah
2: yeah i got to the point where i won't say his name because i hear he's a really nice guy now but back in the day I was doing a movie with carrie Ann Moss and I was the lead bad guy. And she was with our, our lead that I'm talking about. And there, he just was a real asshole. And he just really was being rude to everybody. And one day he cut down a crew member and I walked up to him and I whispered to him. I said, I'm going to fucking knock you out right now. I'm going to knock you out. I'm going to fucking hit you right in the face. If you don't clean up your act, you're just, you're, you're just so full of hubris and bullshit. These people love you. Why are you, why are you behaving like this? It's just inexcusable. And he looked at me, and he walked away, and he was better for the next next week and a half. Or what? I just said I'm going to fucking punch you right in the face. I don't care if I go to jail. I'm going to knock. Wow. I'm going to knock you out because wow. I couldn't take it anymore. I don't. I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I'm far from perfect, you know, Mike. But I got to tell you, the one thing that I learned from my dad is you stick up for people that need sticking up for. It. You fucking stick. You you stick up against the bully because. It shouldn't happen. There's way too much bullying going on in this planet right now. And yeah. Wow. Only once though. I don't think I ever remember. How about you? Have you run into once or twice? Yeah, there's been a couple
1: of bullies, um, bully directors, but not many. I think I I probably had two or three in my life where I just said, hey, you know, I don't I didn't snap at him, but I just said, hey, hold on a second. Hang on. This is not how we do things here. No, good for you. It was just he was uh, making one of the actresses uncomfortable. uh, The director, he was like, you're going to be over here and you're going to go. And he grabs her arm, goes, no, 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 you're going to go over here. And I go, whoa, stop, stop, stop. And everybody looked at me. I go, what are are you doing? He goes, excuse me? I go. Isn't this supposed to be like a teamwork here? We're trying to figure it out. You're just grabbing her arm and moving her here. And you're not even asking us what we're doing. You're just barking orders and acting like a macho guy over here. Oh, I love you. And he goes, oh, so we have one of those guys on set. I go, yeah, we have one of those guys. And then he was cooler. He was way yeah. cooler. They need a calling out every once in a while. They and do. I just, he just, I could feel it myself getting uncomfortable. And I was like, I can't work like this. I can't be uncomfortable like this. I got to say something. Yeah, and uh, it's been, a, it was, a, it was uncomfortable, but I, I picture you like a, a good leader on set. You want everybody to have fun. You want everybody well, to, you know.
2: Thanks, man. And I I finally, you know, you know me, I'm like you, I'm a character actor, I. You get all the funny shit a lot, and I I love comedy so much. And when people find out that I'm actually pretty funny once in a while, I get oh these God. offers, which I which I love. But I'm telling you, after Sons was over, shortly thereafter, a couple years later, there was a a series called Bad Blood. Yes, people that, love that Bad I, Blood. Yeah, it was a huge hit on Netflix and Rogers and and City up in City TV up in Canada. And to be called in on that and to be number one on the call sheet. And they hire Anthony LaPaglia, who was a buddy of mine and Paul Servino. These guys did it for a lot less money than they normally get, but the scripts were so unbelievable based on the true story Anthony played Vito Rizzuto, a real crime boss, one of the biggest crime bosses in the world, let alone just Canada from Montreal. So he's playing a real guy. I played a fictional guy, even though between you and me, now that it's over, he was based on a real guy who's um, he's still incarcerated, so we couldn't, we couldn't really talk about him too much, but right. I mean, we had to change his name, his ethnicity, the whole thing. But I'm telling you to be number one on the call sheet. And then after it was over to have the actors and the actresses and, and producers just come up and go, Hey man, way to go. You, you, you really, uh, you really did number one. You really did. And I, I did, I cared about everybody and I did the best I could in and in making everything comfortable. But when it was time to work, we fucking work, man. There's no yeah. there's no dipsy doodling. This is really do you do, stuff.
1: do you stress? Do you get anxiety? Do you put pressure on yourself that's not that is unnecessary? Do you uh, fight through things? Do you de- how do you deal with all that stuff? Or are you just Mr. Tough great guy? Great question.
2: That's a great question. I I didn't know, but I'm I'm full of anxiety. I mean, I, I I I have a shrink that I see once in a while, and he's amazing. He's in Pasadena, and he really he calls me. He called me early on our sessions. He would call me. King Kong, like <laughs> Why? King Kong. No, because I fucking bursted in the room. I'd never been to a shrink before in my life, and I burst into his room. And said, "Do I pay you now? Do I pay you now? Where do I sit? Like, what, what do I? How, how are you today?" Where am,? He just he just kind of put his head had a smile, a smile. said, like, "Kim." You sit wherever you want, and we'll worry about the payment <laughs> later. so you want it now in a check? A check, a check. like a mafia then, guy. Yeah, you
1: want yeah, this now?
2: I, We're going to keep this a secret? Yeah, you want this now? <laughs> we keep it straight. You and me, does it go anywhere? Am I don't mind fucking being mic'd? No, no. So, you know, so he called me King Kong because he really, and part of my anxiety uh, was coming from I'm, I'm so recognizable now, and the charities that I love doing or It's fucking on, man. It's on. And I, like you, do three or four cons a year. Maybe you do more. I mean, I get asked to do them a lot. I'll go to a few. My charities make us money. I make a little bit. It's a fun, to see fans for me is, it's draining, but in a good, good way. Like, I love my fans, uh, my people that like my work or whatever. But I was really um, going off the deep end with uh, stressing out about, my career because it just kept going up and up and up and it's what i've always wanted and i like where i'm at but i i uh you know i needed to calm down and breathe and and slow down a bit and i think i've learned to do that
1: what was it that you noticed about yourself that you didn't like that got you into therapy what was it was it the little things what were those things that you or maybe your wife and maybe diana diana right oh, for
2: sure oh for she sure I, I would notice um You know what it was, Michael? It was this kind of shit where I'd never, I'd never, I was always proud of just being me. Whether you know me from movies or from playing football with me when I was 17, I was pretty proud of being me. And I stopped kind of doing that for a while. I I started knowing that if I was going to a house party, I thought they would expect me to talk about my movies or talk about Bruce Willis or talk about sons and sons and so i put all this bullshit into my head so i would be just kind of moving too fast moving too fast and so i i think i've learned to try and slow down what do you do and i've also sorry michael what do you what do you do to slow down um just let it happen let everything instead of trying to think about making everybody happy all the time you know, my, one of my sayings that I use, Michael, is I can't tell you how to succeed, but I can tell you how to fail by trying to please everyone. And, you know, I've always looked at myself as being a really fortunate motherfucker. I've worked really hard for my career, but I've been really fortunate with my friends, Bill Fickner, who you worked with, Love he said behind Bill. you, by the way, he Love fucking loves Bill. you. He was
1: on the podcast, loved working with him. He just loves what you. It, and ready? he loves you. You guys are best friends. He says he, on the podcast, was like, yeah, me and Cozy pretty much talk every day. We're always on the
2: phone. Yeah, we do. I mean, he says it the best. Like, is it, how weird is it to meet your best friend at 40? You know, <laughs> when we did Black Hawk Down, we were both like 40. And, you know, we met each other and it was over because we are the same kind of guy. Anyway, he loves you. And I think I've, I've just really enjoyed uh, my, my life. And so I really look out for the underdog, I think. And I really sometimes try too hard to make people happy because I know they're happy to see me. But when I'm around guys like you or Fickner or guys that I just can be myself around without trying, it's the best time for Kim Coates.
1: So that's what it is. It's trying to be yourself and not, let, not trying to people yeah. please too much. Yeah, trying to trying to breathe and do your thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you got this movie coming out, or it's out now. It's out on digital and on demand. And I saw the trailer for this, and it looked intense as shit. Yeah. And uh, neon, neon lights. lights. Yeah. Now you get to work, or she gets you get. Yeah, you get to work with Brenna. Brenna, yeah, coach your daughter. daughter. And you know, a lot of times you hear, you know, somebody's working with their daughter. This, she's like a star. Like she's she went to Tish. She's done so much theater. She is, she knows what the hell she's doing.
2: Yeah. She's the real deal. This kid, she, um, you know, Diane, I, my wife and I, we, we didn't mm, push our kids away or to anything when they were growing up. It was letting them discover what they liked and loved and reading. They're both so smart. Kyla, you know, she's trying to save America. God bless her. (laughs) She works in LA County with Janice on. She's a deputy supervisor. She's a big shot and she's with mental health and, the sheriff's department, the firemen, the homeless. I mean, she's she's in it and in L.A. That's County, awesome. 12 million people. She's got a big job and she loves it. And she really, really is caring about America in the right way, being such a liberal. it's uh, She's got a lot of work ahead of her and we're proud of her. Brenna, who's as smart as Kyla, she was an actor from four, five, six years old. I mean, she just knew it. She was shy, she was beautiful, she's funny. Anyway, so she additions for Tish. Uh, from her high school in Pasadena. She gets in, uh, she's in New York. And you know, Michael, it's like, come on, fuck off. It's like 65 grand a year. And that doesn't even buy you a Starbucks. Oh, God. And if her dad is not on Sons of Anarchy, she's not going to New York. She's going to Victoria or Saskatchewan or Seattle, somewhere. You know, I, I couldn't afford, you know, come on, right? right? But I happen to be lucky to be on a big TV show and I'm making money. So fine, she goes there four years. At the end of the fourth year, Michael, <clears throat> they do a, they do a, it's a one act, 90 minute play, Sarah La brand new play called The Wolves. So all the seniors, it's about nine girls on a soccer team. A mom comes in at the end of the play and they had one showing of what they were doing. This is the final project, here she is, she's saying goodbye. I flew, I saw it, Diana couldn't go. I'm in the audience. I am so blown away at all the girls. We're all crying at the end. This is a juggernaut play and they knew it. Cut to six months later, they're finally gonna do The Wolves in Poughkeepsie. And from Poughkeepsie, it's gonna go off Broadway. If it's any good, I'll go to Broadway. So Brenda has to re-audition and she's going through all the stress, all the stress. Same part, she's perfect for it. And I go, I'm telling you right now, Brenna, and this is what you and I had to deal with, Michael, I I still do, but they're gonna look for a name. Her part was one of the three leads of the nine girls. They're gonna look for a name. So don't, don't feel bad if you don't get it. I got a good feeling about it, but you did, you know, so she did one and she did a call back, all these producers are sitting there, whatever, whatever. Then we had to wait two weeks and she finally got the call that the part was hers. Cut to a summer at Poughkeepsie, couldn't get a ticket, Goes to the Duke Theater, couldn't get a ticket. All these movie stars are starting to see this play, The Wolves, The Wolves, The Wolves. It gets called um, one of the greatest plays in New York in the past 25 years. New York Times. New York Times, correct. And so Brenna gets called out in all these. Anyway, they end up winning an Obie and a Drama Desk Award for the ensemble of all the actors on it. All nine girls win these incredible awards. She goes, you know... Right to another play in, in San Diego, another play somewhere else. Then she comes and does a play with dad. I did Jerusalem by Jez Butterworth. I almost died on stage every night. Mark Rylance is doing it again right now in London. I flew to see him. We had dinner. I saw it twice. Hugs all around. He had gave me the baton four years ago when I was preparing to play this guy. I took a year to prepare. The accent went to London five times. The whole deal is a long story. God. But Brenna was in that play with dad. Cut to... This movie, Neon Lights. Michael, when this movie, and it was during the pandemic, nothing's happening, early fall 2020, my agent in Canada, I've always told Gail, that's why I've never fired her, I love her to death. I've fired more American American agents over the years, but I'm with a really good one now, Sherry Cohen, I love her to death. Uh, my management company's pretty cool too, Main State. Anyway, I get this call from Gail. She goes, you're not gonna do this movie. I go, what's it called, Neon Lights, why? It's just really dark. It's, it's, I can't get through it. I said, well, send it to me. So they sent it to me. And sure enough, it's about mental health. Right. And it's about, it's about, it's a f- psychological thriller slash horror, small cast. It's in one man mansion. The house has a character on its own. I play a guy. I can't say too much about it because it's a very surprise when you watch the movie. Anyway, there was a perfect part for me and a perfect part for Brennan and I had to read it twice to really understand what this guy, Dana Abraham, who wrote it and starred in it, was talking about. I said I would do it. They said, can we have Brenna to us? And you'd have to call her and see if she let... She, she read it. She plays a shrink. She'd never played a part like that before. She's really like an angel in this movie. Um, she says, yes. Yeah. so we're working together for the first time. Michael, we had our premiere about a month ago in Hamilton. and another premiere in L.A., I wasn't able to make the LA one. I saw the one in how Brenna went to Bo. She's a second build. She's above the title with me and Dana. Wow. Everyone's so good. This movie's so scary. It's, it's just, it's the reviews have been so unbelievable because it's about mental health.
1: Yeah, and it's right up my alley too because it's got that psychological horror. Tech tycoon Clay Amani retreats to an off the grid location in search of meaning and peace with disconnected siblings and their offspring, only to be caught in a bone-chilling killing spree within his new estate. It's just like, in the, the the trailer, you're like, what the hell? It's just, it's like, this is what I, the kind of stuff I watch. So I'm I'm excited for this. I can't wait to watch this.
2: Well, and who you're talking about, Clay Armani, is played by Dana Abraham. He's the lead of this movie. I happen to play his, uh, his stepfather, and we're going to stop right there. I can't say much else, <laughs> because it is, um, I was, Roos who directed it, this beautiful Iranian-Canadian-Canadian-Iranian boy, he's so talented. He's just so, he was so great with the actors and all masks, all shields, all, you know, tested every day, all that stuff that we had to do, and still do, really, because um, of this pandemic. But he was beautiful, and I'm stunned at the music. I'm stunned at how, I mean, I was, a, I helped produce it, so I got to see all the, all the cuts, and I would give notes, and I listened to every single note that I had. I'm very, very objective. I'm not a subjective guy. It's all about the greater being of of this movie and beats and what scenes are too long or what scenes don't work. And they did a great job. And like I said, it's, um, it's, it's killing it on video demand is everywhere now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Neon lights, digital uh, demand, go see it. I mean, if you're, if you're me and you love horror movies, uh, this, yeah. and it's much more than that. And I just, I can't tell exactly what your character is, but it's, it's something, I, I don't want to say dark, but,
2: Oh no, you can say dark.
1: It's pretty dark.
2: <laughs> but can I just say one thing here about, about who I played, Denver Kane? <clears throat> when I read it, um, I had to change some things because it was way too much on this side of the railroad tracks. Right. For me, as you can imagine, Michael, with these cheekbones and these eyes, and and I play a lot, I play a lot of bad, I play a lot of bad boys, and I'm really careful with my bad boys and this guy i said oh i'm playing him but it's got to be this because you need to bring some like why why is he even in this movie if he's just that way it's just too boring too scary one note right right one note and they went oh my god yeah 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 so he's mesmerizing he's methodical he's kind he's dark as fuck and he it's like a Like he's like a python. He just sucks you right in, and then he's gonna bite you, right in the neck.
1: See, those are the best kind of villains. Those are the best kind of dark characters. I mean, look, I played Lex Luthor, and if you people loved him, they loved him in the beginning. If you get them to like you or love you or have those moments instead of being one note, it makes the character so much more. Can we talk
2: about that for a minute? You were so fucking Ah, good on that show. Thanks, man. It was Michael. You were so good in that show. You're the best thing in that show. I mean, the show was good. It lasted for eighteen thousand years, but you were so good. I saw maybe five, 10 shows and, um, you were having a blast and I can't remember, but you hurt your back, didn't you? Am I making this yeah, up? Yeah, I've
1: had a lot of surgeries and stuff through playing ice hockey my whole life and just kind of like, you know, like yeah, yourself. Yeah, you're a hockey and, player. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I had some issues with the back over the years. It hasn't been fun, but like, you know, I've been, I've been doing a lot better. I've been Good. doing a lot better. So I've been just trying to take care of myself and, uh. You know, so glad now if I can get the anxiety under control, coach. Yeah, how are you doing with that, bro? It's all right, you know, it's it's like I just turned 50. Do you remember turning 50? Yes, yeah, I do. Did was it weird for you or just another number?
2: It was the beginning of the best part of my life because it was literally two months before I started Sons of Anarchy. I, I, I just the truth, I had my 50th wow. birthday party, and and literally like two seconds later. I'm cast as Tig Traeger, and I said to my wife, I guess I better do this. And she was like on her knees going, please, please, please. I <laughs> went, sure. Can we just have a, a paycheck once a week that we know is coming oh, in? I
1: love it. I love so, it. Sure. All right, this is this is called Shit talking with Kim Coates. These are my patrons. They give back to the show. They're unbelievable. Go to patreon.com slash inside of you. Join patron. I'll send you a message. Thanks for supporting the show. I love you. These are from the top tiers. They're asking. This is rapid fire. Go. So you go. Chris R., how did it feel playing a nut like Tig on Sons of Anarchy?
2: Mental, mental. I mean, M- mental. I, I, I just said to Kurt Sutter, I, I turned it down. I turned it down. He said, "Why?" I said, "He's too psychotic." He haven't shown me. It. He goes, "No, no. Tig's going to be psychotic for sure, but he's going to have a heart of gold. He's going to be funny. He's going to be a moral compass of the club. He's going to be psycho. He's going to be this. He's going to be that. He's going to be. And you can ride, and you're going to love riding. And just please come along for the ride." And I did, and I'm glad I did. But I've never. Played anyone like him before. Wow.
1: Jeremy C., what would be your favorite role to take on if you
2: could do anything?
1: Or have you done it already?
2: Oh, my God. That's a great question. No, I haven't done it already, but I've been lucky, right, to be a character actor. I get to really act. I get to change it up. I get to cut my hair, grow it, get fat, get skinny, have accents, have a limp. I mean, honest to God, wear Armani or wear nothing and show my stomach off. I mean... I, I'm just so lucky to be a character actor. I get offered all kinds of shit, and I'm loving it. I'm loving every single thing I get offered that I say yes to. By the way, do you work out a lot? I do. I have.
1: Do you think that really helps with with life in general
2: to keep your body yeah. moving, to keep strong? Yeah, because I'm flying all the time. I'm in hotel rooms all the time. I'm on different pillows all the time. I'm filming all the time. And if you don't take time to bike or walk or a few weights here and there at my age, I'm in my 60s now, you, you're gonna, you're going to break down. And so I really am trying not to break down and working out helps me.
1: David H., who's someone you've worked with that you expected them to be one way and they turned out to be completely different in a good way, I hope?
2: I I was really uncertain about Kevin Costner. I got to tell you, he's, again, one of my best friends now. And he turned out to be the kindest, smart. Um, Even though he didn't direct Waterworld, he kind of did. And then Open Range, he did direct. And Michael Gambone and I played the two lead bad guys in that. And I would spend night after night at Kevin's house uh, in the the beautiful Rocky Mountains up in Canmore, Alberta, watching him edit, smoking pot with him every night and watching him edit and edit and have a glass of wine and then learn from him. Um, I was stunned at how warm Kevin is to everybody and how smart he is. If you fuck him, he'll, 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 he'll put you in a headlock and he won't let go. But he's, uh, he turned out to be like, what a, what a jewel, Kevin Costner, for sure. Wow. Legend.
1: Joey Mack loved you as Declan in Bad Blood. Did you prep for the role by studying any iconic movies like The Godfather
2: or Goodfellas? No. I didn't prep it with that, but I read a lot of books. And their uh Bad Blood was called In Blood, in 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 Blood or In In Business. I think it was called Business and Blood, the book, the true book that we bought the rights to to do the six-part first-year miniseries that would turn into a two-year thing. So I did a lot of reading, did a lot of reading about Montreal, did a lot of reading about the early years of uh being a gangster in Montreal and, and and the all the bike gangs and all the people that were, you know, I read all the true stuff and then I I incorporated that into my character for sure.
1: Ray H., what do you enjoy about your work?
2: I love what I do. I don't know how many people can say they love their job. Um, And I get paid well for it. I don't even know why. I... I've never worried about money, Michael, to be perfectly honest with you. It's just come to me, I guess, after all these years. and But I was so wanting to be the best actor I could be in all that theater and not getting paid, but I didn't care. And now it's paid off because people, people befriend me, maybe because I'm Kim Coates, but boy, this year, like, hanging with me because I think I'm a really good actor and – I love listening. Like when you and I work together, I, I'll never forget listening to you. Like listen, if you listen to people on set, then then you won't act Then you're just yeah. going to feel, it's just going to come out of you. If you don't listen and you plan everything, well then that's called acting and the camera's going to see it and you'll never be at the level you and I've got to. So um, wow. yeah, man, I just love my job. That's it.
1: Sophie M, any fond memories from working on skinwalkers?
2: <laughs> sure. Fuck skinwalkers. You know why? (laughs) I'm gonna tell you why. That movie could have been so good. Stan Winston, one of the great great
1: loved him.
2: Makeup artist. I mean, he's won a gazillion Oscars. No one was better at his job than him. And Stan for himself wanted to do one more movie about werewolves and he was gonna design the suit. It wasn't gonna be CGI. He wanted the actors to grow into their suit. Right? Um, Jason Bear, Elias Cateas, me, the three leads. I mean, so that movie, when I read it, Michael, it was R. It was an R-rated film. And it was so good and so dark and so unbelievable, we all signed on. And I'll never forget getting to set up in Toronto. And all the leads were there and the directors there were all ready to go. And they are giving it, oh, they said, oh, there's some rewrites. and. We got handed the script and we started to read it. And I'll never forget after about page 20, I left the table and I laid on the floor. I I was so depressed at what they had done to turn this into a PG-13 light, light arena of a film. I was so depressed that all the money people that put all this money in, they're going, no, this is the new script. And Kiteas and I and Jason Bear... You couldn't run away. We were still going to do it, but I knew this fucking movie was going to fail, and it did. Now I'm—I love that this person, gal, guy—I couldn't remember the name that you said—that they love this movie because we have Sophie. some fans. Yeah, yeah, we have some fans with this film, but I'm telling you straight up, it could have been way, way better had they stuck to their guns and not being afraid to make it a restricted film because it was so much better.
1: You know, I always—I love talking to you. It's been forever, but you speak your mind. You have unbelievable stories. You're so down to earth. I miss you. I love seeing your miss face. You. This is and neon lights is out on demand and digital. Please check it out. If you love horror, if you love psychological stuff, you're in for a a, a fun little movie here. And yeah, uh, you
2: better if you, if you drink, you better have a drink in front of you. If you eat, you better have some popcorn in front of you because you're gonna be nervous watching this film. It's a very nervy fucking film. Rosenbaum, you're amazing, bro. Uh, what you do is amazing. I think as an artist. Stands on its own. Billy loved working with you and the neighbors so much. I'm jealous. Yeah. I knew great. that you we gotta do something
1: it. together. We gotta to eventually well. we'll do something together. No, I would love well. that. That would be a real treat, you know. Real treat, bro. You uh, look great too. Hey, back you. at you. I love you. Good luck with everything, man. Love Continue you. Buddy. Success.
2: Love you, man.
1: Big love. You got to live and learn. Do you remember that song? No, that was from like the late 90s or early 2000s you've got to live and learn it was a terrible song terrible song was it yeah it sounds inspiring does it well, you, well, you've, you've got know, to you're live not, and learn you're not
0: doing linus, linus morrison are you
1: no what was that song you live you learn i kind of like that you're song pr- that's a good song that's a good song she, she doesn't some, miss she had some tunes yeah thanks kim Coates, for coming on the podcast i loved having you on you were a freaking treat i love your stories and uh yeah great great guest uh what else can we say um you know everything was said in the beginning um appreciate everybody's support this podcast is you know we're not the biggest podcast in the world but uh we we could definitely use your help and we appreciate your help go to patreon.com slash inside of you you want to join patreon become a patron of mine i'll message you back uh go to the inside of you online store for cool merch as i said in the beginning um later in the year i'll be going to like san fran uh columbus uh pittsburgh for some cons in late late november december and uh also i want to give a shout out to all my friends out there who have supported me in the last few weeks uh i've been dealing with a lot of anxiety and uh my patrons and uh, everyone listening uh it's life man it's life ryan we all go through it but we do yeah sometimes you just feel hopeless sometimes you just feel like man what the fuck? what am i doing I, honestly, I was on the wrong meds, and when you're on the wrong meds, your mind goes to weird places. Like, what am I doing here? Why? What? What is there? What? Why? I had no like nothing. Part of that's being a human too. Yes, and you just have to know that this is your mind. It's not real. These thoughts aren't real. It's not a reality. Many a times. What are the facts? Yeah. What are the facts here? And uh, then you start to go, hey you know and and people say this all the time but saying your gratitudes before you go to bed when you wake up I took a hike and at the top of the hill there's the beautiful view of of Los Angeles and I just sat there and I said hey God thanks thanks for life thanks for this planet thanks for and I just started doing it and it just it made me feel better it's just being grateful you know do you do that not enough not enough, but it does help. It's, it's, there's something with your mind when your mind actually, when your brain hears that, when, mm-hmm. you, keep, when you keep saying it, you're like rewiring your mm-hmm. your mind. Yeah. You know, so it's good. So thanks for all the support, the love. Uh, let's give a shout out to all the top tier po- uh, patrons. These are folks that are the top tier that give a lot to the podcast and really keep it afloat. Ryan knows many of them by memorization.
0: I don't know, just that back half is a little tough
1: yeah should we we start working on the back half yeah i've I've got the first several
0: down (laughs) yeah you do
1: all right here we do do we want any particular voice today
0: um
1: yours my voice yeah yes okay uh nancy d leah s sarah v little lisa yukiko jill e brian h nico p robert b jason w sophie m Kristen k not to be confused with Kristen Crook correct Raj C Joshua D CJP Jennifer N. Stacy L Jamal F Janelle B Kimberly E Mike E Eldan Supremo 99 more Amira Santiago M Chad W Leanne P Janine R Maya P Maddie S Belinda N Chris H Dave H Sheila G Brad D Ray H so far you know these of mm-hmm. the T Tom N Liliana A Talia M Betsy D Chad L Marion meg k big stevie w angel m angel i lived in a place and there was near there was a place called angel mounds so remember angel m angel mounds <laughs> rhiannon
0: angel Mound sounds like a euphemism for a child's poop that's all i'll say <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right rhiannon c Corey k dev nexon Michelle A, Jeremy C, Andy T, Gavinator, David C, John B, Brandy D, Yavor, Camille S, The Chief. The Chief? The Chief. Joey M. Just one Chief. Just the one. Joey M, Design OTG, Eugene and Leah, Nikki G, Corey, Katie B, Patricia, Heather L. Think Heather Locklear. Mm -hmm. Jake B. Think Jake Busey. That will help you. Megan T. I don't know what you could do there. Making tea. Making tea. What are you doing in the kitchen? Making tea. Mel S. Mel S. MLS. Oh boy. Major League Soccer, MLS. Oh, there MLS. You go. Yeah. Mel S. Uh-huh. Orlando C. Orlando Clum. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, speaking of MLS, the Orlando soccer team is Orlando City, so that's Orlando C.
1: Okay, so you can remember C. Uh-huh. Caroline R. Uh-huh. Caroline R. Oh, that's a tough one.
0: Where are you going? I'm going down to
1: Carolina. I'm going to Carolina. <laughs> there you go. Christine S. Sure. Christine S. Awesome. Christine S. Awesome. Memorize that. Well, that's Sarah right. Smile. S. Sarah, Sarah S. Mm-hmm. Eric H. hmm Yep. That's a tough one. <laughs> Jennifer R. Uh-huh. Jennifer Rarner. Shaney Shane R. Emma R. Emma Roberts. Oh, there you go. There you go. Roberts. Jeremy V. Jeremy's, Jeremy's vegan. <laughs> Jeremy's vegan. Jeremy's vegan. Andrew Andrew M. Andrew M. Robert G. Robert G. Zatuichi Zatuichi seventy seven. Sure. Uh, Andreas Andreas N. Fault. Andreas fault. Oh and oh, and hmm. Mm. Oracle Chris R. Chris Rock mm-hmm. Michael F. Michael Fassbender, uh-huh. Karina N. Uh huh. I don't know Karina N. It's a nice name. Though. Karina. N. Hi Karina. I've talked to Karina. We zoomed. Big group of us zoomed. It was fun. <laughs> I liked it. Karina. Karina. Samantha W. Michelle D. Amanda R. I know.
0: Oh, I know a Michelle D. In real life. Okay. There yeah. you go. Yeah.
1: Amanda R. Amanda R. Amanda R. Your,
0: Amanda R. Amanda
1: Lovecraft E. Shit. Amanda S. Huh? And Jen B. Jen B. Oh boy, Jen B. It's going to be tough for you. We'll it. see how It's going to be tough. Those are the top tier patrons. Those are the folks that really help the podcast. But you know, you can give anything back to the podcast, and it helps. It really, truly does. Thank you for listening today. Thank you for listening every week. Thank you. Even if you don't know a guest and you listen, it helps the podcast. Write a review, subscribe, all that mm-hmm. stuff. Say hello to Ryan on online. Say hello to me. Um, I appreciate you all. I love you dearly. And thank you for listening to this podcast. Um, from Michael mom here in the Hollywood Hills of California. I'm Ryan Tays as well. A little wave to the camera, a little peace sign. Uh, guys, be good to yourselves. Be good to yourselves. And uh, we'll see you in a week.